Well, good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Hello to wherever you are and whatever time it is when you're listening to this newest edition of The Weekly Wrap. I'm Seth Singleton, and I will be your host for this episode where we take a look at, essentially, what things are catching my eye in the world of entertainment, movies, comic books, writing. I'll try to stay away from news, and politics I simply won't touch. But it's my belief that everything I'm talking about relates to the storytelling that engages all of us when it's done right, when it has impressive characters who are taking on challenges that are greater than anything we might consider, and yet at the same time remind us of exactly how similar to us these characters really are. And with that, I can't help but point out that right before I left for work, my wife showed me that there was a new teaser trailer for the new Stranger Things trailer that was popping up on social media. It's the third season of Stranger Things, and this has been one of the longest stretches between seasons for this amazingly popular show, which has become something of a flagship for the streaming network Netflix. I know that I always thought Netflix had produced some really interesting content or some thoughtful and original content, but it was only after I saw Stranger Things that I thought to myself, wow, the possibility of Netflix as a major film and other entertainment production company has really reached a, a level of viability and credibility that rivals that of MGM, Fox, or any of the other standards which have been in business for so many years that they've become household names. And that's why there was so much anticipation and excitement for me as I ran out the door, off to work, and then right outside the office before I had a chance to sit down and lock in, I pulled up the actual Season 3 trailer, played it on my phone, in my headphones, and I laughed and I smiled and I was reminded why it was I absolutely loved these kids. And if you can hear that little whining noise in the background, that would be my French Bulldog Bruno. And he is so excited about the way I'm getting so excited that he can barely contain himself with all of those whines. Well, Bruno and his big sister, Fiji, have been walked. They've been fed. The whining, for the moment, has subsided. Which means I can return to my own form of whining, screaming, uh, <laughs> excitement, as I continue talking about the Season 3 trailer for Stranger Things. I love the introduction of Dustin coming home to find that no one's there to greet him, and his only comfort is from a, uh, a 
pet turtle. I'm not sure if it's just a little <laughs> more than tongue-in-cheek with the uh, usage of the turtle. Someone who can't really go anywhere, being the only one who actually appreciates that Dustin has returned. But it does set up a lovely moment when Eleven, unbeknownst to him, begins activating all of the electronic toys that are in the basement that these lifelong friends have been sharing all these many years. And he slowly begins to follow this trail of electronic toys as they work their way down the hallway. And when they reach the living room, they stop and they've gathered in a way that makes him look down, which is when Eleven and all of his Dustin's friends <laughs> come up from behind and shout surprise while holding a banner that says, Welcome home, Dustin. <laughs> Dustin, of course, had been properly armed before he started following the toys, and he turns around and begins squirting of Lucas who screams <laughs> and then everyone screams and from there it's just this really lovely montage of great images that not only give us glimpses of characters that we have grown to know and some we've come to despise or just enjoy watching as they bring chaos to the screen, and also the recognition that just because there have been positive resolutions at the end of parts or seasons one and two of Stranger Things, that that doesn't mean that there aren't problems still lingering, and the teaser at the end of season two clearly pointed that there would be a season three. And there would be a need for this group of friends to once again stand together. But it's clearly not going to be easy. Winota Ryder, the just exhausted mother, is forlornly picking away at what can only be a very unappealing TV dinner. I know that TV dinners, when I experienced them in the 90s, were not that great. And even the one or two that I had in the early 2000s on those rare moments where it just happened to be what was offered or available. And yet, there was something about the older versions that reminds me that if it's only this good now, how much worse must it have been? 10, 20, 30 years ago. But it's not just about the TV dinner. It's about something that's come back and we get a glimpse of it down a hallway with a great close-up shot that begins to build slowly and then with greater speed as the images in the montage begin to increase and flashes of this creature's development, growth, and 
reveal begin to show themselves. By the end, he's terrifying, and this nightmare creature from the Upside Down is clearly about to be forefront on the discussion of every conversation about Stranger Things and these monsters and what they're doing to these poor kids in this town. The fun parts would have to be Max's older brother as a lifeguard looking as cheesy and sleazy as he has since we first met him back last season. The glimpse of or snapshot of Hopper sitting down, apparently waiting for someone to join him for dinner, firing up a smoke, big grin, looking like he's dressed as nicely as he knows how to or is willing to, but he looked he looked happy. And that's something that's been a goal, I think, at least as an audience member, to see Hopper break out of the darkness that he started season one with and finally find some light, give him a chance to let go of the bottle and know that what he was able to experience with Eleven is something that he can find with uh, someone his own age who's a partner because he'll always be a father to Eleven and that can fulfill that that part of him that is still yearning to teach and mold and shape and support that he never got to experience once his own daughter passed away but in order to do that he also needs balance in his life and he's looking for it. And I love this shot of him ready to try again. Ready to put himself out there and see what happens if he tries something new. Either with someone new or someone he's always wondered about. And Max and Eleven staring up and turning around in wide-eyed wonder, taking in the glory and majesty, perhaps, <laughs> of the, or majesty, majesty, I don't know where that word came from, the majesty of a shopping mall. And lastly, the final haunting series where we get to see and hear the reality facing these great friends, building things together, creating new friendships, and seeking out new adventures. And Will staring at a picture. A picture of the four boys dressed as characters from the Ghostbusters. And while he looks at it, there is the ominous voice of Mike in a voiceover asking what did they all think was going to happen they're all growing up and as they are they are all gradually drifting apart and being drawn in new directions that changes the way these friends have come to know and understand not only who each other 
is, but who they are because of this shared friendship and its basis, which is an experience that you would think would be something that would bond them, I mean, essentially for life, but clearly those bonds are being tested. And the challenge is, will they be strong enough to hold and also strong enough to adapt in order to allow these friendships to survive? Because if they can't, well, I think we all know how magical season one and two have been if you've been watching season one and two and if you had... uh, that nostalgic sense of wonderment and thrill and joy that I did while watching seasons one and two, to lose that magic would be such a tragedy, I think, because when you really get down to it, there are so many times in our own lives that we've held something that valuable in our hands and we watched it just simply either disappear or fall apart and knowing that it's something that you can never get back creates that much more of a powerful sensation when you're witnessing it occur uh, with characters that I've come to know and love and I'm curious if you have too and now that the trailer is here And its final tagline, that one summer can change everything, is fresh in my mind. All that's left to do is begin the countdown and maybe start planning for a rewatch of seasons one and two, either at a gradual pace or in a flurry of binges. Have some thoughts you'd like to share about season three? Stranger Things, or anything else I just mentioned, I'd love to hear about it. So send me a message, drop me a line, whatever method you prefer. I can't wait to hear. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. Now whether you agree that that's a prediction or not, or whether you find it to be something that actually came about not just completely indifferent but independent to I'm not going to argue but I do like it when the discussion goes down a road and that leads to the consideration of some likely possibilities and when the news matches up well It's just a happy moment in my eyes. You can call it coincidence or serendipity or anything else you want. What I can do, though, is say that that's why I would recommend tuning in on a regular basis to the DCM podcast. And if you have another one that you think I should be listening to as well, just to keep up, let me know. Drop me a message. Send me a link. But it also allows me to point out that that's not the only podcast that you can find if you decide to make the wise decision and become a subscriber. One of the other options 
is a new podcast that I've been lucky enough to uh, be the host for. And it's called the DCN Podcast Spinner Rack. The first episode just released this week. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and I'm sure many other podcast 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 platforms. So check it out, pick it up. It is essentially my take on that week's DC Comics, the five that I feel are the ones that I would choose to read if I only had five comics to read that week. And they're a chance to dig in just a little bit deeper. Provide just a little bit more insight into my thought process as a reader and reviewer. But much like the DCN podcast clip I just played for you, it's an opportunity to introduce either a subject or a topic or to generate a discussion about some of these stories that, as I make quite clear when I'm recording the first episode, I didn't even know about. I was not aware of the title. I'd seen it um, maybe in a in a listing or noticed that it was scheduled as a a new title, or even just saw the name and thought to myself, I wonder what that is. And it wasn't until that week's comics dropped last week, and it was my job to read all of them. Not just ones I was reviewing or ones that I liked, but read all, and then go through and make a selection. Not as easy as it sounds, a little bit harder than I thought it might be, and then there was the process of getting it all down in a recording and something that could be presented to you. Thankfully, we've got Editor-in-Chief, or I've got Editor-in-Chief uh, at DC Comics News, Josh Rayner. Does an amazing job every time. Makes the group sound good when it's the uh, community podcast, but for this podcast, since it was just my lonesome, dulcet, soothing tones, I, I really had to rely on him to cut out my pauses, my ums, and catch some of the things that I don't catch when I'm editing my own podcast. And that was really great as well. It was an opportunity to see my work through somebody else's eyes and consider some things that I may not always be looking at when it comes to recording or editing podcasts for Storytelling with Seth. I've got a quick clip that essentially provides you with the introduction to Spinner Rack. But if you want to hear the whole thing, You'll have to go to DC Comics News uh, Podcast on whatever your favorite streaming platform is and subscribe. Bonus, if you're already a subscriber to the DC Comics News Podcast, well, this just popped up in your feed naturally. It's part of the DC Comics News Podcast family. So, if you've already subscribed so that you can catch the weekly podcast about comics news, check your inbox, check your feed. You'll already see it, the new episode of The Spinner Rack is there. And it's so new, it's the first one. So, give it a listen. Let me know your thoughts. And for a quick teaser, taster, sampling, here it comes. So, since there's a first time for everything, this is the first episode of The Spinner Rack, which perhaps leads us to an obvious question for anyone not familiar 
with just what a spinner rack is or what it does. For me personally, a spinner rack was a childhood symbol of escape. It was this wire metal rack that had two or three rows of shelves all linked to a center column and pivoting rather creakily, crackly. I mean, honestly, the description that comes to mind is rickety, rackety, wobbly, squeaky display for comic books. And that's what a spinner rack was. At the top was a metal sign that said comics, five cents. It was peeling. And it was one of three that I could find in the small town where I grew up. One was at the Long's Drugs, the other at the Payless Drugs, and the third and most familiar would be at the little town newspaper that was called, I kid you not, Dick's Newsstand. Dick's Newsstand was a place I could always count on, on the way to and from an errand, school, the library. It was the place to stop to see what was new on the rack. And with a quick spin and that oh-so-familiar wrenching, squeaking, sometimes grinding sound of metal twisting, all for my delight, my friends and I could see just what was new in the adventures of all of our favorite comic book characters. It also meant that at a place like the local pharmacies, I could find a little bit of relief or escape from that interminable amount of time when mom, dad, me, or sis had to wait for a prescription. That 30, 20, 45-minute window could only be filled with so much wandering down the games or toys aisle. Eventually, I touched too much or picked up too many things, and then the no-touching rule would come into play. I could pick up the books and magazines down the book and magazine aisle, but most of those were older than I was. But if I searched hard enough, if I remembered where to go, and made sure to keep my eyes looking up, I would find that metal Christmas tree, always giving 365 days a year. And it was a place that I knew magic and impossibility would exist from the moment I opened a cover of the comic book and began reading until the moment that either I closed it, satisfied to have snuck in a full story, or when I heard my name being yelled because I hadn't checked back in, I'd actually disappeared without telling anyone where I was going, or someone had been calling my name more than once. But I, so sucked into the bright colors and the fantastic story and sometimes the fantastic environments where the story took place and the great powerful lines that seemed to shout at me that these were things I should know 
and that there were real threats on the line, and it was important for me to read them. But the voice calling my name didn't agree, and I would in those moments have to detach and let go of that world of magic and return to the mundane and the existence of prescriptions and medicine and long waits and lines and not being able to do what I want. But every time I found a spinner rack, every time I stumbled upon that collection of comics, I knew that for as long as it lasted, I could lose myself in the wonder and the mastery and the magic and the mystery. And with that spirit in mind, DC Comics News is proud to bring you its very own spinner rack. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. If you've been listening to the DC Comics News podcast, you'll have heard the most recent episode produced and listed over the weekend, hosted by Joseph Marcus, Brad Felicki as guest, and joined by Kelly Gaines. They talked about all of the upcoming news in DC Comics, movies, television, streaming, and of course, comic books themselves. Sometimes these conversations can feel like they're just an opportunity for everyone to share an opinion about why they loved or hated the newest product or change or development about their characters or even characters they don't really know or care that much about. And while I can understand that that's often the case if you're listening to something that's simply talking about how excited someone else is, as you are, and doing nothing more than talking about that excitement and sort of I struggle with the word, (laughs) but it's almost as though they're simply telling you or me something I already know and does nothing more for me than tell me that and then make me wonder why it is I'm listening. But in a conversation we had two weeks ago, Joseph, who was hosting at the time, brought up a news clip that revealed that Adam Smasher and Stargirl would be appearing in the new Black Adam movie featuring Dwayne Johnson or The Rock that's been in development for quite a few years. And this news raised some questions about how we felt about it. And what was fun was that the possibility that this might lead to an introduction of the Justice Society of America, or the JSA, which was the original super team in the DC Comics universe during the Golden Age. While that might have just seemed like conjecture a few weeks back, it was during the most recent podcast that the news headline was discussed which revealed that a JSA project, or Justice Society of America project, was now in the works and would be on the calendar for the DC Comics movie schedule. 
I love that a discussion about a small part or development in a project can lead to maybe it's conjecture maybe it's theorizing or maybe it's just an opportunity to consider what's being shared and look over the possibilities and the most likely possibilities that could come out of it maybe this was just a happy accident but I enjoyed to no small degree. I'm going to go ahead and share a snippet of that conversation from that podcast two weeks ago so you can hear what we talked about and let me know whether or not you think it was conjecture, simple theory, or something that to you was so obvious that it should have been just as clear as a bell to those of us having the conversation. Let's take a listen. Um, but with that, I do want to move along to uh, our next news story, and that is in regards to the Black Adam uh, movie. Now, it was reported this week that the Black Adam is going to have, or at least there's rumor to have, um, certain characters in that movie. Um, just going to throw these names out there as well. They you say that the Black Adam movie will have Hawkman, Stargirl, and Adam Smasher. And, you know, I think last month it was reported that the uh, script for Black Adam was finally turned in after years and years of kind of us waiting to see what was going to happen. And uh, it's scheduled to go into production in 2020. So, I mean, (laughs) this movie's a bit a ways away. So (laughs) let me go ahead and ask you guys, what do you guys think about this this, uh, story of uh, these characters joining Black Adam? Seth, what do you think? Well, I... Initially, I'm drawn to the the role of uh, Hawkman and his inclusion in the story because what I know about Hawkman, what I've really enjoyed about the comic version of Hawkman recently, has been the uh, tracing the the timeline that Carter Hollow has sort of created through his multiple incarnations and reincarnations, and I think he is this great sort of viewpoint for us to understand who black adam was who he is now and where the where the pieces didn't quite fit fell apart how that history informs us about the the character that we're seeing on screen and maybe maybe provide that sort of depth or range of understanding that someone who's been around for as long as Carter Hall has um, brings. I'm more curious and interested in how Adam Smasher and Stargirl are going to play a role in this. Um, I know of them from their earliest incarnations of the JSA, and I, you know, remember them from the uh, All Star Squadron and the, uh, you know, the way that they became this sort of newer. Um, incarnation of the JSA but how that's going to tie in and I know there's been some more modern takes as well and how they're going to weave that together and which parts of that they're going to include probably is where I have the most questions because I know there are numerous options available and and I'm I'm just curious to see how they they choose to line that up I don't think I have more beyond Adam what did what did you feel 
Um, I'm not too familiar with um, Stargirl and Atom Smasher, so I, I can't really, I don't really have an opinion on, on them being featured in the script. Um, I, I'm just more confused as to like what's going on with a Black Adam. I mean, first he, first uh, the Rock made a Dwayne Johnson made a big announcement that he was going to be Black Adam, and then that kind of just quietly disappeared, and then Shazam popped up out of nowhere, and those two characters exist um, within each each other's universe within the same universe they are tied 100 percent to that together because they have the same mythology but you know black adam is nowhere nowhere like near shazam like there's nothing no mention of him in shazam which doesn't make any sense to me so i'm just like all of a sudden now there's a script coming out with these three characters that i i mean i don't know if i don't know if they have a history with black adam but it just seems kind of random to me and that's my only thing like i just don't understand like where the how the timeline like where the time what the timeline is like announcement disappear and then he just kind of pops right back up with uh three new three characters that they're going to feature in the script with no mention of shazam like i uh personally um I, you know the hashtag show is a pretty credible source but i this is one of those ones where i'm not believing um i'm not really putting too much weight behind uh, I mean, although like um, it, it's always cool to feature like new different characters rather than the same uh, the same characters being cycled over and over in these movies. So I'm I'm, I'm all for using new characters that that uh, general audiences don't know. I mean, I don't even know I don't even know Stargirl and Adam Smasher very well. So um, I'm definitely welcoming of new of different characters. I just I just given the timeline of what's going on with Black Adam, I just don't quite believe the the, the story very much. Um, and I don't know if I'm just being totally pessimistic in this entire episode. Uh, I just it just like I just follow. I like I really follow a lot of movie news, and this is just one of those ones where I, I'm not sure if it's if it's um, a story that we should put too much weight behind. Uh, what did you What did you think about it, Joe? Um. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's just this the production the of this the the whole story around this movie of Black Adam. It's just it's been really weird in my opinion since the very start. Yeah, you know you have the Rock, obviously you know the biggest movie star in the world. You want to get him into your you know kind of your studios and they're working on your movies you want him attached to pretty much everything that he can possibly attach to and so i think warner brothers is kind of like okay well we need the rock to be in our you know in our stable of dc movies so what is you know what can we do what does he want to do and you know the black adam i always saw was a bit of an odd choice i think it'll be the rock will be fine as black adam but then again, you know, like I said, he's doing so many things right now. Like, I, where does the Rock even find the time? So I think that's kind of contributed to this lengthy uh, production cycle, and it's taking so long just to get things off the ground. Um, with respect to these character announcements, I, I you know, I, I, I'm happy to see Hawkman, um, particularly, you know, just because of the uh, the ties towards, you know, the uh, you know, like ancient Egypt and, you know, the kind of like that world. I think that'll be really cool and interesting to see um, with Stargirl and Atom Smasher. I, I think they're probably just kind of looking for ways to throw other characters into this movie. You know, again, it is a movie based on a DC uh, supervillain. So you kind of need some other characters to kind of you know, just to flesh it out, kind of be our introduction to this, you know, this part of the DC universe. So I think maybe if you introduce Stargirl and Animal Smasher as kind of, you know, investigating or 
you know, looking into these legends of, you know, Black Adam and Hawkman, I, you know, I think that'll be, I, I think it, it can work out. But again, like, you know, I, you know, and it's, I don't mind you being pessimistic because there's a lot to be pessimistic about when it comes <laughs> to certain projects. Um, you know, again, so don't feel bad about that. Uh, but yeah, it's just the thing with Black Adam. It's, oh man, it's, it's been in production for so long that I just, I don't, you know, news comes out on it and I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, you know, we'll, we'll believe it when we see it. And it's just, you know, it's yeah, just kind of sudden, like out of nowhere, like, boom, there's three characters in the black Adam script that you didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, between the both of you, let me just ask you, is there a history between these characters and Black Adam? Aside from, like, I'm sure, like, various clashes within the Justice League from, t- from time to time? I'm trying to recall if there's any example I can think of. Um, I do... I do feel like they were both involved because there was a period where it was the JSA who were dealing the most, an incarnation of the JSA that was involved the most in comics with dealing with Black Adam, not only trying to like incorporate him in the team, but also be the ones who responded. Um, The other thing that I was just thinking about while I was listening to you both give some really great answers was that in my understanding of it, um, Infinity Inc. or however they've appeared, Adam Smasher and Stargirl were both kind of iconic for being American superheroes. And I'm interested in possibly maybe if there's a a conflict that can be uh, exploited during this storytelling, if they're involved with whatever happens with Black Adam and there's like an international conflict simply because some of the things I remember about Black Adam is that in the modern day, he's trying to resurrect conduct that he remembers from his past and mm-hmm. that any intercession by superheroes, the majority of which are American, was met with, well, you're actually breaking international law by crossing international boundaries or, you know, messing with allies. And I feel like that could be a key component in the uh, the conflict. Um, but I'm also curious because I feel like there was this thing that Jeff Johns did way back when they were doing that 52 series um, where Black Adam played a really prominent role and the way that he delved into the storytelling for kind of explaining how Black Adam was this person or character of hope who for all these different reasons lost that hope. I don't know if there's supposed to be maybe an element also that that's kind of like the hope side that that'll be coming through from Stargirl. I always kind of remember being kind of perky Mm -hmm. or, you know, very inspired or inspiring and Adam Smasher, who is always kind of like a can do character, you know, like I've got the might. So just tell me where to put it and I'll do the right thing kind of. Um, But most of that just goes to, me thinking that in some ways there has to be a heartstring motive behind Jeff Johns because it it was so much an element when he was working with this character, when I saw him working most closely with this character and it would have to be part of how he can sell it to the American public as being someone you want to watch. Cause if he's just black Adam, the jerk, it's not going to be an enjoyable experience, not beyond a, a certain element but if there's a black adam this is why he became a jerk and you can hope for him because maybe he won't be again 
then that's something that a lot of audiences can get behind. A redemption story can often be one of the most compelling. And somebody please get in the way because I feel like I just started ranting. No, no, no. no. I, I, you made you made some good points. I, I really like the idea of, uh, like you said, like Star Girl, who's like you know has this great like all American look to her, and you know being involved and you know invading Kendak. Like, no, no, no. I, th- I think this that's those are all uh, really good points. Um, now, and now we're gonna take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. Well, I hope you enjoyed that clip, and I hope it's enough for you to head on over to your favorite podcast platform, find the DC Comics News Podcast, and download and subscribe your first episode of the Spinner Rack. And of course, once you've subscribed, please don't hesitate to rate. Five stars works for me, but I really want to know what you think. So please don't hesitate to also leave a comment, tag us on social media at DC Comics News, and you can always tag me, on all of your favorite social media, and I'll make sure to leave a little snippet about that at the end. Now, hosting that podcast and preparing content for this podcast can sometimes make it seem like the only thing you're going to find me doing lately is something about comic books, but that that simply is not true. In fact, if you hear a little bit of fatigue in my voice, and perhaps the sound of a cough drop or throat lozenge, it's because I spent yesterday for my first full day at the Game Developers Conference, or Gaming Developers Conference, however you prefer to frame it, 2019 in San Francisco. It's my second time around. I'm there not only for myself and to see what's new in gaming, but I'm also, of course, working with the game company that you've heard me mention in the past, Planet Rise through Blue Alchemy Studio, and I spent yesterday with our founder and CEO, Jabari Ali, and as well as another team member, Justin. In fact, if you head on over to Seth the Writer on Instagram, you can see some video content that I've been posting, and I'll also share some write-ups on my website, sethsingletonstoryteller.com. Now, that also means that I'm working on a podcast episode that's about GDC. Things I saw, things I experienced, people I got to meet and know, and companies that caught my attention. If you don't know much about the Game Developers Conference, it's an opportunity for gamers from around the country and around the world to introduce a company, introduce a game, introduce an idea, perhaps build a little bit of early or advanced hype on a game that's already in production and coming up for a soon release, reveal new technology like the augmented and VR that I've seen for the past two years and that I don't care how many times you see it, it still always looks just a little bit different than how you expect to not only see people but see them interacting with the environment around them and then realizing that the environment they're interacting with is whatever is displayed on their view screen. But there's more. There's giant screens overhead that are constantly displaying trailers for new games that are providing information about where big events will be held. And then there's an interesting challenge in who to decide to 
put your weight behind when it comes to building your own game. Unity, Unreal, Microsoft, PlayStation, and so many more offer a platform that's designed to take your idea and bring it to reality. I'm always intrigued by that because you know that in our interview series, we're regularly, I'm regularly discussing with those who have figured out a way to independently turn their dream into a reality. Here at the Game Developers Conference, the suggestion is you don't have to do it alone, especially if you partner with the best platform. Now that is a theme that's also shared across all of the other ideologies that are represented. Whether you're working in coding, engineering, art, visual storytelling, narrative storytelling, or something that falls either in between or completely outside, there are numerous partnerships designed and presented that allow you to build your community and to join communities that are growing alongside you. It's a shared sort of experience that I often enjoy at Comic-Cons and other venues where the fact that being there seems to be one of the most exciting aspects for those in attendance takes away the sensation of discomfort that can be felt while you're waiting through a crowd of maybe one to 5,000, either with the herd in a direction or against it as you're trying to get through to your own destination. So look for the podcast episode regarding GDC 2019 and all my other thoughts and feelings about it. And while you are, you can also keep up on my recent interview schedule. I already have posted, about two weeks ago now, my conversation with Tara Masan and a great topic that we stumbled on about what you or we can do when we can't do what we want. I really enjoyed your insights and perspective, and while I will admit that I was the one who was encouraged to bring up the title and talk about the theme, the content that she provided was... It's always enjoyable and it's always valuable because of the perspective she takes as a lifestyle and wellness coach. And if you've already given that a listen and you're waiting for the next episode, well, I had the chance to sit down with a local, and by that I mean in my neighborhood, great guy local writer named Steve Heimoff. Now, Steve cut his teeth writing for numerous publications before securing a great opportunity for one of the biggest wine magazines in the nation, if not the world. Through that, he had the rare glimpse into a rather exclusive, perhaps esoteric environment that comes with the world of wine and wine tasting and wine reviewing. And his insights, experience, and the valuable lessons he learned made for a really great conversation and an extremely informative interview. I also enjoyed that Steve provides that perspective on the other side of his career. He is successfully retired. He has begun planning the next stages of his uh, goals and ambitions. And he's an opportunity to see where things can go, which in many times when I'm having an interview 
with someone, it's someone who's only begun or only in the past maybe five years been successfully producing work in, in the attempt of their dream. And to speak with someone like Steve, who has already made that attempt, succeeded, and can talk about what it's like having accomplished that and to find himself on the other side, looking back and taking note, is a great way to bookend the conversations that often lead with, this is still early, there's so much more yet to come. I've got a great clip here from Steve. I hope it provides a little bit of information as well as intrigue so that you'll be looking for the next episode of my interview series that will be featuring Steve Heimoff. Go ahead and take a listen and I'll be right back with you. Steve, we were just talking about a great story about uh, this really interesting time on the Russian River. Maybe you can set the stage a little bit. Sure. Why were you on the Russian River? Well, I was already in my wine career, and uh, I really wanted to write a wine book. I just wanted that accomplishment. But it was hard. I couldn't get an agent. I would write sample chapters, and no one was interested in, in reading them. Um, so one day the phone rings. This is probably 2000, 2001. And it's this editor at UC Press, University of California Press, and he says, uh, I want to take you to lunch and talk about you writing a wine book for us. And I'm like, what? That was crazy. So we went to lunch, and the upshot was he said, you, you can write a wine book about anything you want. And, I mean, I was just mind-blown. That doesn't happen. That's not the way it works, right? But, it, but I was very fortunate because he believed in me and trusted me. So I decided to write a book that was uh, sort of loosely based on Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness or Coppola's Apocalypse Now, right? Where it's a journey down a river and stuff happens and it builds to a climax or a crescendo. But in this case, it would have a wine theme because the river would be the Russian River. Um which is a great wine river. It winds through Mendocino and Sonoma counties and then spills out into the Pacific on the Sonoma coast. So as part of that, um, I made the acquaintance of a geologist at uh, Sonoma State University because I was very interested in learning more about the geology of wine country. And in particular, what had formed the Russian River. No one had ever explained, like... How old is the river? How did it get born? How does a river start? So uh, this geologist, Terry Wright, was a a great help to me. And he was also kind of a wild man. He had big, bushy white beard. And he he wore sort of like uh, Harrison Ford, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark type, you know, clothing. Yes. And he said, well, why don't we take a canoe trip down a portion of the Russian River and I can show you more about the geology that way. So we met up. Um, we met, I drove up to the uh, uh, the Geyserville Bridge, if, if you know where that is, and then um, left my car there, and we drove up in his truck with the canoe on the top 
up to the Mendocino County line. And the plan was to uh, row the, uh, I don't know, that's about 12 miles maybe, down the river back to the Geyserville Bridge. Um, but it was early June, and I think it was 2001, and, and California had had a record snowpack that year. Um, and it being early June, the snow was melting, right? And all that water, you know, had to go somewhere, and a lot of it found its way into the Russian River, which was very, very high and very, very cold. And the Russian River, I learned from my subsequent research, is, is not a dangerous river by any means. But um, after a winter like that, it can, it can have its bad spots. And so we hit a portion of it that's known as the Graveyard Run, which is at Asti in Sonoma County. And uh, we're, you know, paddling along. And then I heard this noise before I saw anything. It reminded me of the subway in New York where I grew up. It's just this roar. And I'm like, what? what's that? And then I saw, you know, maybe 300 yards away, the white and the spray and stuff. And I said, what the hell is going on? And Terry said, all right, brace yourself. Just do exactly what I tell you. He's in the front and I'm in back. You know, we're both paddling. And um, then we hit the, the white water. And suddenly, instead of going straight down the river, we're heading 90 degrees to the right, to the bank. And I was about to say to him, what, the, you know, why are we heading toward the bank? But before I could get the sentence out, the, the boat capsized. And I was underwater in what they call the spin cycle, going, you know, being turned up and down with my face being rubbed in the, the gravel down there on the riverbed. Um, and the upshot was that I managed to grab hold of a fallen tree, which they call a strainer, because it was like a, you know, the claws of the branches straining. Okay. And as it turned out, that's where people die. They get caught in the strainer and they really? can't get out and they drown. Um, so I'm hanging on to this tree, and then I see the canoe is floating away down the river, and I realize very quickly that we need that canoe if we're going to get the hell out of here, right? Terry, meanwhile, had been washed onto a sandbar in the middle of the river, which is basically, he was stranded on a sandbar. So I'm, I, I grabbed hold of the canoe with my leg, and I'm holding on to the fallen tree with my arms. And the river's like really fucking going fast, man, you know? And Terry's on the other side, and he's all wet. He'd lost his glasses. So I'm like, okay, you're, the, you're supposed to be the wild man, you know, expert. What the hell do we do now? And he said, well, you have to get the canoe to me somehow here on the sandbar. And I'm like, how am I supposed to do that? You know, it's like 30 maybe 40 feet away and raging water. And whenever you watch something like the weather channel, they say, you know, even four inches or six inches of rushing water can kill you, can sweep you off your feet. And this is the Russian river. It's gotta be 15, 20 feet deep. And it's roaring down there like a freight train. So um, he said, well, just grab the boat and swim across the river. Like, fuck you, there's no way. So anyway, um, there, were, there was some rope 
in the boat and I lashed the rope to one of the, the grips in the boat and then I balled up the rest of it and I threw it across to him and it took a couple of times to, for it to reach him and he went out as far as he could. Then he got the other end and he reeled the boat over to his side and then he said, now you have to come over here and I'm like, well, we're back in, in square one. I mean, how do I get there? Because the the bank that I had washed up in was at least 10 feet high. And um, so Terry said, well, swim across. And we went through that thing. And I'm like, I'm not going to swim across there. And then I thought, well, maybe if I go a little upstream or downstream, it's a little calmer and, and I can swim across to the sandbar. So I scrambled up the bank, falling multiple times because it was really 10 feet of mud and pebbles and rocks and stuff. And I got up to the top and it was just this dense growth of poison oak and and brambly wild berry bushes with thorns and stuff. And I remember, you know, like trying to get through all that brambly stuff to get a little bit upstream. And it was it was hard because all the bushes were up to my face. And then I realized like I was getting bitten by spiders because I was going through like these spiders. And I started to lose it. And I realized like I was hyperventilating and panicking. And I realized like that's when you die in these situations is, you know. So I took a couple deep breaths and I went back to the place where we'd wiped out. And I went back down the bank and I said, Terry, there's no way to get across the river. And what are we going to do? Anyway, he threw the rope back to me. I tied it around my waist. And he said, just go for it, dude. And he said, I've got the other end of the rope. You're not going to get swept away. And I got across there and so on and so forth. And then we managed to get back in the boat and back down to the uh, Geyserville Bridge. But I did end up with a pretty serious case of hypothermia. And a great story. <laughs> <laughs> so whether you like whitewater rafting, hearing about wine... Or just enjoy a great story about the experience someone had pursuing their dream to essentially, as he told me, make a living writing about the very thing he loved. Something I think that many of us not only desire, but are working towards. And I know as someone who is always working in that direction, I really appreciated not only this introduction, but the rest of our conversation. And if you are currently subscribing, you'll find this in your podcast feed. And if you're not, please go to your nearest podcast platform, your favorite podcast device, your go-to for podcast streaming. Look for Storytelling with Seth, subscribe, and please rate. I like five stars, but I also really want to hear what you have to say. So if you think I don't quite earn that many, let me know. And then leave me a comment or a message so I can figure out how to provide a little bit more, a little bit better each time. Once again, you've been listening to Storytelling with Seth. This is the weekly wrap right here for that week before the last week of March, and really it's just about the last week of March. I mean, we're practically in April next week anyways. But that would be the conclusion 
And this is the conclusion of the weekly wrap. Remember, of course, to check out the DCN Comics News podcast, not only for the weekly podcast featuring reviewers, editors, and their discussions about all the happenings in the DC Comics world, but also if you'd like to hear my take on the top five comics each week on the new production known as The Spinner Rack. You can get that first episode now, and of course if you subscribe to DC and Comic or DC Comics News podcast, it'll always be in your feed as soon as the next episode is available. And if you continue subscribing to Storytelling with Seth, well my next episode will always be there the next time you look for it. I'll be coming to you soon with that conversation from Steve Heimhoff, and of course, I've got that great review and perspective on my time, experiences, and amazement at GDC 2019. Thanks for listening to this week of The Weekly Wrap. I'm Seth Singleton. Can't wait to hear from you. Can't wait to talk to you next week. So thank you again for listening. And if you find yourself with an extra moment at the end of this recording, and you feel like you've got the inspiration to share, subscribe, or just tell a friend, well, thank you for that too.